What is up, diehards? Wes Monell in the building for AWOL Sports. Drew LaQuesta in the building. We have some week two takeaways from every game for you. And at the very end of pick six, I asked Drew six questions with an extra point question as well. That's how we'll cap off the show. Beginning with the first game of week two, Thursday night football, the Bengals at Browns. Joe Burrow, he's got a fan out of me pretty quickly here. From his week one moxie to throwing 61 passes and three touchdowns to three different receivers on prime time, I like what I see so far. Meanwhile, that Baker Mayfield interception, it's a pretty tough play to grade. 13 personnel expecting man coverage, receiver on the left dragged, and the corner, William Jackson, dropped back into zone coverage immediately. But, of course, we had the luxury of film to watch that. Mayfield, he was doing the play action. As soon as he he turns around, there's a defender in his face. Good job evading the sack. And he launches for the end zone. Uh, He thought it was one-on-one. That's what he thought he saw. And Jackson winds up picking – picking the ball off there it's it's a good play to learn from because he could have run for the first or lobbed the ball to Austin Hooper who sat down a yard shy of the first you should check that play out for yourselves guys uh, and there was another game over in the NFC an unfortunate injury uh, with Saquon Barkley where we saw the Giants go to Chicago to play the Bears and real quick Drew um David Montgomery, he was one of the players I wanted to see take a leap this season uh, to see if he can kind of fill that Matt Forte void. And after two weeks, I like what I see. And he's got the Falcons and Colts on deck. So what did you see from this game? Yeah, I like Monty too, man. I liked him the first year, had him in fantasy. Obviously didn't really have too many opportunities. They were still trying to filter in Cohen to the offense, but I mean, it's looking like he's every bit as the running back that they expect him to be. He's not really, he's not necessarily undersized. He's not, you know, a big bruising back, but in tight spaces, he could make people miss. And that's what he's doing right now. We've seen chunk yardage plays from him. Um, You see Cohen's role minimizing. So I think Monty moving forward, as long as they can keep this offense moving uh, like they have, uh, I think he'll be a good fit in this team. I mean, for this game, both offenses are pretty mediocre to say they were just um, more successful on third downs here for the bears uh, offensive weapons for the bears. I think are just a little bit step ahead, you know, obviously a young core with the giants, but the bears are showing that they can make tough catches left and right. You know, Mitch kind of came down to earth this game. He had a great week one performance, a little bit more like him week two. I do give him credit. He had a couple of beautiful passes. It was a beautiful touchdown fade pass to Anthony Miller. It was actually dropped in the end zone. And then uh, his second, his other touchdown throw in the end zone, that was after a scramble. So those were pretty nice. But in the fourth quarter, late in the fourth quarter, in his own, on his own side of the field, he had two very, very, very near interceptions um, that could have put the Giants in scoring position a little bit earlier. But hey, two picks on the board, two could haves. It wasn't in the stats, it wasn't in the box score, but I think he did enough to carry the offense, not turn it away. Not, turn it around as much as he's used to Giants actually had the ball late in the fourth in the on the 10 yard line for the Bears and they had a chance to score they just couldn't come through with it um I like I like Daniel Jones moving forward I think he's doing enough obviously he was kind of missing the focal point of his offense it's kind of hard to keep your offense going without the main piece but I think he did a pretty good job 
and Evan Ingram's probably going to be a, the biggest piece moving forward, I think, in the passing game, uh, in terms of fantasy football, at least. Uh, moving on to another NFC matchup, Washington at Arizona. The story of this game, much like Arizona's week one victory, Kyler Murray ran eight-plus times in six games last season. He's already two for two, adding a pair of rushing TDs, man, uh, while completing six, 26 passes in both games. His assertive running is completing this offense right now. On the other side, Washington took a note about Antonio Gibson. I know he's earning that role, gaining more snaps. He broke five tackles. That's very promising. So-so offensive line, not the greatest pass attack to kind of open things up for him. I think he has some wiggle. Uh, yet another NFC matchup. This one you watched, Lions at Packers. Only three players have made the PFF team of the week in both games. Green Bay has the only two offensive players to do it, quarterback Aaron Rodgers and center Corey Lindsley. The Packers are also one of two teams to score in every quarter so far. The only NFC team. What do you see in this one? Nice, yeah. I saw Green Bay kind of started slow, but, I mean, they were eventually a well-oiled machine to finish the game, and, and Detroit couldn't keep up. The Lions didn't really seem to be caring to cover the flat routes or the drag routes. They were wide open, and Aaron took advantage of that, utilizing seven different receivers. I mean, it was it was crazy. He had, he had almost 5 to 20 yards after catch. Each one of those drag routes, each one of those crossing routes, um, one of those flat routes went for a touchdown. Um, Jones and Williams were both biting off chunk runs. Aaron Jones, obviously unstoppable in the second half. It looks like the biggest thing I saw here was Aaron Rodgers and, and the receivers are, are beating man coverage. I think that was one of the biggest things last year. That was the biggest reasons why they lost against San Francisco. San Francisco's secondary wasn't that strong, but they couldn't beat man coverage enough for Aaron Rodgers to miss that pass rush on the pass rush on the D line for San Francisco. So that's a, that's a bright piece for green Bay. Um, the Lions just killing themselves with defensive penalties, big yardage penalties in the first half that kind of put them in the hole. And Stafford had one big mistake throwing a, a pick six in his own end zone, falling down. And um, you know, green Bay took advantage surprisingly two and zero in the division already. Yeah, they're doing it and doing it well. Uh carrying that momentum they did that they built last season. Uh, and, and really, the only team to stop their mojo was the 49ers, ground and pound. So we'll see how that unfolds now that the 49ers picture looks a little murky. Moving on to Baltimore at Houston. Aside from the Packers, the Ravens are the other team to score in every quarter so far, the only team in the AFC. They're simply rolling on all cylinders right now, outscoring opponents 71 to 22. They have four ball carriers to throw at you. So you better get off to an early lead on them if you even want to be in this game to have a chance. Houston didn't do that. Watson made some great throws. This is why he got a contract. Made some not great plays. Look, I, I looked at the schedule for Houston. I expected 0-2, so this isn't a surprise to me. Uh, and I don't think it's – it's time to press the panic button, not in the AFC South as it pertains to the Texans. As for Baltimore, 
they're showing why they only lost a couple games last season. They are just rolling. Uh, Lamar Jackson, that guy is – he's doing what he's supposed to do through the air. And even though the Texans did their best to contain him on the ground, Mark Ingram, Gus Edwards, the rookie, J.K. Dobbins, it's just too much. It's just too much. Uh, they wear teams out, and that's pretty much what happened. They, they just deflate you. <laughs> And, and that's what I saw in that one. Uh, uh, interconference matchup, Minnesota at Indianapolis. Uh, before you touch on that one, Drew, just want to say I did watch that game. Uh, I know Phillip Rivers had a pick, but I saw that that ball bounced off of the tight end's chest. So I think Rivers learned from his week one mistakes. I don't think Cousins learned from his mistakes because on that safety, he could have scrambled to the right to avoid that. and. He didn't. So as for the picks, uh, I mean, I know Kirk Cousins had three picks. Two of them are basically Hail Marys, to be honest. The third one in the third quarter, it was a th- uh, was thrown behind B.C. Johnson on a slant. So it was a bad throw. Uh, what did you see from this game? Exactly on point what I had here. Uh, hit Rivers hitting Mo Cox right over the middle. Um it was tipped a little bit by Smith, but again, I mean, the quarterback's job is to get the ball there. Your job is to protect the ball from the defender and come down with a catch. So I don't put that one on Rivers either. Most of the time I saw Rivers making beautiful throws. If anything, if it was off target, it was out of the reach of the defender and the receiver playing it safe. So I think him and uh, and the staff kind of realized week one their mistakes. So I like that they started grounding, you know, pounding the Rock with Jonathan Taylor. I am surprised that Jonathan Taylor got 26 carries and nobody was even close to half that for the rest of the team. I thought Hines would get more looks, but I mean, it's obviously that they're trusting this rookie with, with the, with load. And it's not like he's not used to it. He did it every game in Wisconsin against big 10 front seven. So we know the kid can do it. He's obviously shown he can drag defenders. He's powerful enough to run through the middle. Really, really like his, uh, his production thus far. I think a lot of the receivers are coming into their own there in Indianapolis. They're using different guys. Pittman made a couple of good uh, slant catches and a deep catch as a rookie. They had Paris Campbell, unfortunately, took a big hit on a, on a jet pass. So hopefully uh, we get someone to step up there. I mean, just like last game, we saw T.Y. Hilton drop a couple of big play first downs and sideline catches. He drops another big play touchdown uh, potential touchdown in the end zone, but overall Indianapolis is looking good, mainly on defense and cousins is just doing exactly what we kind of expect them to do. I think I thought they would have just ran Dalvin, you know, with his production of from last year and they just didn't really utilize him even in the first half. And then all of a sudden the game is just away from them. Not sure what, what that was, but um, they got to find something on offense. They really look like they're not sure what they're doing. Yeah, I know. I hear you on Dalvin. Uh, 12 rushes in week one, 14 in week two. Granted, they had to play from behind in week one. Uh, But, hey, it looks like they're taking care of their investment. I don't know. I don't know. You know how I feel. I don't think he – I don't think Minnesota should have done that. But uh, we shall move on to Chiefs at Chargers. Barring that rookie interception by Justin Herbert, I really like what he showed in his debut, as did you. We were side-by-side watching that game. 
There wasn't much not to like about Herbert aside from that one pass. Austin Eckler, he looks like he prefers Herbert to Tyrod Taylor, to be honest, breaking seven tackles and earning six first downs, looking like the Eckler of last year. As for KC, Pat Mahomes, he didn't throw over 200 yards last year in two games against the Chargers. He goes for 300 in comeback fashion. The Chiefs, they're still dangerous. I know it looked rocky, but if you're going to be a team that makes another playoff run, another, another deep playoff run, you got to win those games. And so far, KC got the job done. Uh, real quick, Drew, uh, your thoughts on Justin Herbert. Man, we we were both confused. I was sitting next to your brother, and, and the second he took the first snap, we're like, what happened? Um, unfortunately, you know, Tyrod couldn't go. He actually took a – I think it was like a cortisone or a steroid shot right before the game, and he just wasn't feeling right in his chest, and he never wanted to put a player in that position. So, you know, hats off to the Chargers for not pushing that through. And, I mean, hats off for the development of this rookie. And I don't know if you, if you guys watch a lot of college ball, but Justin Herbert a lot of times was – Obviously, a big-time athlete, big-time arm, but a lot of his throws were erratic, and a lot of the times they were babysitting him at Oregon. But, I mean, the development from last year to a short camp through this first start was pretty amazing, man. A couple of his throws were obviously getting the jitters out, but from then on, man, just big-time kid, big-time arm. He was making throws on the sideline. He was making throws over the middle. He was commanding that offense. He was making the right checks. At the line, one of the craziest things, I saw him take a couple big hits. One of the biggest hits he took was from a full-speed linebacker. They both went to the ground, but Herbert popped up, and the linebacker looked kind of cussed. So this kid is built. Uh, he's not a smaller quarterback that'll, that I think will be uh, dealing with injuries. He showed poise. Obviously had that touchdown like any rookie would in, in his first. But, uh, I mean, one of the first rookies since like the fifties or sixties to have a passing touchdown and a rushing touchdown in the same game. It seemed like watching the Chargers wasn't so boring, I guess, or nervous. And I think he added a lot of juice to that offense, man. It's going to be hard for the Chargers. I know they already said they're going to go back to Tyrod if he's healthy, but man, that, that kind of has a lot of fans. If they were watching, it has a lot of fans on the buzz. I think they like Herbert. Yeah, we both did, at least from the small sample size we got to watch. Uh, you know, I know I know you diehards look at the box scores like we do, but just to share in case you weren't paying attention to Herbert and, and his debut, 22 of 33, 66.7 completion percentage, over 300 yards, over nine yards per attempt, two TDs, one passing, and like you said, one on the ground, and that interception. But, man, I, I mean – I kind of can't wait for his next opportunity. Uh, Drew, the game of the week for us did not turn out to be an awesome game. Your Rams at my Eagles. The Rams looked in total control early. Somehow Philly stuck around, but fourth quarter, Sean McVay, the offense, turned it up a notch to outscore the Eagles 13-3. to What would you see here? Yeah, Sean McVay and the Rams, man, one of the best road teams, proved it again, another win against a really tough Eagles team. I know the final score didn't equate to that, but, I mean, you saw the look on my face and sometimes turning it over with Cooper Cup returning a fumble or returning a, a punt and uh, not converting on those um, 
on your side of the field. I mean, they were hanging around third quarter. Eagles were only down by eight. So knowing that Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson is, is dialing something up, it's not really fun to be <laughs> on that side of the ball. So I'm glad they came out with a win. Um, they did a great job of moving the pocket for Goff. You know, they kept it multiple. You know, it was pretty hard for the Eagles defense to know what was coming. There were so many throwing lanes. There were so many jet actions, run actions, sweep. It's pretty hard to def- to defend that, especially when the Rams game is built off of the run. So the, the rushing attack was on point. Uh, Van Jefferson made some great plays. Looks like he's going to be exceeding his late second-round draft position. And I know it's only week two, but the Rams are fifth-best offense, third in rushing, top ten in points. Defense not too shabby either. They're only um, they're fourth-best in allowing points. But uh, if you look at Philly, yeah, they – take home a loss, but they're only one game behind Dallas. The other two teams in that division, not really a threat. Last year, they suffered back-to-back losses three times, and they still made the postseason, so you can't count this team out. I think Deshaun Jackson and Wentz are finally coming into their groove, especially with Deshaun Jackson missing 15 games last year. Jalen Reger, slowly with his injury, they're being careful, but, I mean, we've already seen him make plays. I think I'd like to see a little bit more usage of the running backs. We've seen these running backs miss, make tacklers miss in space. 19 total of rushing attempts and five receptions in the past two games. I think it could be increased a little more, especially with the lack of chemistry with his receivers. We know the tight ends will get back on track and always produce, but um, I mean, the Rams were just advantageous with this, with their yards per play and the Eagles three turnovers. I loved how the Rams played in this game. I hated it that, it happened to be against my favorite team. It is what it is, though. We, we <laughs> will dive in and analyze these things as professional as possible. Uh, I'll tell you this much. The Eagles this season will probably be Miles Sanders or bust. Uh, that's just that's what I see. And for fantasy purposes, Drew, you're the Rams fan. You're the inside. What would you tell uh, fantasy owners in regards to that backfield? Who is the running back? I think overall they do want to help Cam Akers succeed this year. They they were raving about him in camp. I think he is a good running back. I just think in clutch situations and in dire situations, if they're down or if they're facing a third and short or a fourth and short, Malcolm Brown's going to get that look. He's a tougher runner. I think he's just more confident with his first cut and carrying the ball. Unfortunately, Cam Akers went down with a with a rib injury, but he'll be back sooner than later. And I think they're going to be splitting the touches. Whoever's available, we saw Daryl Henderson get some touches. I think it's more of a committee, but overall, I think they're going to be trusting Malcolm Brown in this offense since he's been there the longest. But I think he does fit as far as getting yards, getting consistent yards between the tackles. We need a confident runner, and I think Brown has the edge over Akers as of right now. But don't be surprised if Cam Akers is succeeding with his carries that they don't split it more or turn it over to Akers by the end of the year. Understandable. And for whatever it's worth to uh, fantasy players out there like us, uh, I have Malcolm Brown because I think that's the best runner on the team easily right now. Uh, but what Drew says is is the likely scenario as far as the second half of the season. Uh, AFC matchup here, Denver at Pittsburgh. Look, this is what the Steelers have been in, in their historic franchise, the steel curtain defense. So far they've applied the most pressure 
after two weeks. I think it's a carryover from last year, but if you need to see more, I wouldn't blame you since they did tee off against the New York teams, the Giants and the Jets. TJ Watt, we mentioned the other two players that have made the PFF team of the week in both games so far, both on the offensive side of the ball. The only defensive player to do it was TJ Watt. This guy is for real, a defensive player of the year candidate. He's been balling since day one since he stepped on the NFL field. He's actually a fun defensive player to watch. In case you don't watch that side of the ball, you might want to check this guy out. He's, he's entertaining just like his brother, J.J. Watt. And look, his teammate offensively, rookie receiver Chase Claypool, He's the guy they're going to for the big plays. I know Juju's had had a couple touchdowns in week one. Chase Claypool, 84-yard score. Last week, he had some highlight plays. This guy from Notre Dame, I, I like him. He's huge, 6'4 target, I believe. I, I like him coming in and, and, and asserting himself pretty quickly. Uh, Drew, do you have anything to add on Chase Claypool? Or actually, you know, his counterpart, Jerry Judy, for that matter. Yeah, Jerry Judy, we saw him make some great plays uh, that first game. And for a player to shine like that on his first game with a quarterback that's still emerging, that's, that's, that's some good promise. We talked about the drops. We don't think that's going to be a big issue. But he was wide open in a lot of his routes, a lot of man-to-man routes. And even in zone, his cuts to get open for his yak, I mean, he was making some moves at the same time. He talks about Chase Claypool. You're right. That's a 6-4 frame. But also, he did run a 4-3 on his pro day. So big frame. He's got the speed. They are looking to him for those big yardage plays. And he made it happen, man. Big Ben on one of his uh, highest pressure throws of that game. He just threw it up. He, he picked the target that he thought that that receiver Claypool can get to. And Claypool fought off that man coverage and got to it and took it to the house, man. Like that's some talent. Um, they have talent all over this roster, especially defensively. I still love the Steelers moving forward, man. You're right. TJ Watt is a beast. He has an interception too. So he knows how to shot shade coverage, looking, uh, showing blitz, dropping into coverage. So he's looking like an all around player, man. Going to be a big threat. I agree. And Jerry Judy, we talked about his route running last week. And again, you just touched on it with Cortland Sutton going down, man. I, I know Drew locks out, but I was in a wait-and-see mode with Drew Locke despite last year going 4-1 and all that. Jeff Driscoll is one of my favorite backup quarterbacks in the league. Yes, I know it's a backup. I, I get it. You probably haven't heard of him, uh, or most of you perhaps. But, look, uh, I like Jerry Judy this year if you need a receiver. Uh, if, if, if that guy's on someone's bench, try to trade for him. Uh, they may think it's, it's a bleak opportunity. I see, I see like a fantasy – winner here that can that can get you over the top be that flex or that wide receiver three or something for you uh all right nfc matchup atlanta at dallas it was a shootout matt ryan and dak prescott both scored four touchdowns three dak ran in with his legs something i wanted to see him do more to break a defense's back and it worked he did it week two I want to see more of it. Drew, what's the scoop on Atlanta-Dallas? 
Oh man, this one was for the books for good reasons, but mostly bad, man. I mean, beyond that choke job, I do give a little credit to the Cowboys for never giving up. You know, a lot of people over the last couple of days have been saying, wow, look at the fight in this team. They never give up. Great camaraderie. But on the other hand, shouldn't all teams have that? I'm, I'm just saying. But down 20 points in the first quarter, 19 points by the half. Dallas came back strong. They outscored Atlanta 30 to 10. They scored those last 10 points in under two minutes. I am surprised by how strong that chemistry has been between C.D. Lamb and Dak Prescott. He had a slight edge on Gallup in week one, and then he doubled up on Gallup in targets in this game. Going over 100 yards this game, too. But looks like Lamb has taken over the number two wide receiver position. Ezekiel is doing his thing. He's not exactly struggling, but he hasn't broken the big one. The biggest run he broke against this Atlanta defense was only 11 yards. Through two weeks, we haven't really seen the big one from him, so... I don't know. I know I heard a lot of chatter over the past couple of off seasons that his game is slowing down. Um, not sure if that's true, but it's kind of looking like he doesn't have that one-step burst ability like he used to. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's just something that I see. Dallas, three fumbles lost, almost cost them the game, but, I mean, everything was working in their offense versus Atlanta in the second half, even the onside kick. You know, typically a 6% success rate. I don't know what else to say about the Falcons. Matt Ryan was great. The defense fell apart, man. I know Julio was mostly a decoy for the game, but they have enough weapons. We've seen it two weeks in a row now. When you need to bleed clock, 3.3 yards per rush is not going to cut it. Gurley with 2.9 yards of carry. They were outscored big in the last three quarters. And the big thing that hit me was watching the hands team hesitate the same 10 yards as the offense to recover an onside kick. That is all coaching. Atlanta lost the fight in them, and Quinn has lost his locker room, man. I, I guess they, I guess Atlanta fans can stop blaming Kyle Shanahan for blowing that Super Bowl comeback. Uh, I don't know. But uh, all right, real quick, uh, a little fantasy spotlight here. C.D. Lamb, 11 catches, 165 yards in two games. Russell Gage, 15 catches, 160 yards and a score in two games. Who would you rather have on your fantasy roster? Ooh, for me, uh, I mean, I have Ridley in one of my in one of my leagues, and I love Ridley, but. If, if I'm going to pick one of the two, I think C.D. Lamb is the emerging number two in that offense. I think he can hide behind the production, the possible production of Cooper, Gallup, and Ezekiel Elliott, especially if they're going to be facing man coverage, putting extra men on defense in the box versus Ezekiel. I've seen Gage make some plays, but I think no matter what, it's still going to go as a split to Hayden, to Ridley, and to Julio if he's healthy. And, I mean, they're showing early that they're not going to be going against the run. They still gave Gurley, even with his 2.9 yards per carry, they gave him 21 rushes. So even if he wasn't producing, they're still going to feed him the rock. I think Gage will be a nice plug-and-play against teams they can shoot out just like this or teams with good secondary options where they have the game plan, a little bit more looks to gauge. I think C.D. Lamb overall finishes as a, as a much higher point earner than Gage. Fair enough. And then before we um, 
move on to the next game. Another fantasy spotlight question, tight end position. Hayden Hurst, five for 72 in a score in that high scoring affair. 572 in a score. Dalton Schultz, the Cowboys, in his first start, nine for 88 in a score. Which player do you do you really buy moving forward as a fantasy tight end, a scarce position? I'm sticking with Hurst. I mean, he was a first-round drafted tight end for a reason, and we saw a lot of that skill set the first couple weeks, one-handed catches, diving catches. This guy is the real deal in my eyes. He was kind of overshadowed with another first-round draft pick in, in Mark Andrews. But now that he has the opportunity, especially we know the fact that Matt Ryan does like to feed his tight ends. We haven't seen Dak feed. I mean, obviously he had an aging Witten on his side, but with the amount of weapons that he still has on that offense and the fact that we know that they'll be committed to Zeke for the rest of the season if he's healthy, I don't really see um, him. I don't really see this tight end taking too many reps. I mean, he didn't really get that many first team reps anyways. Uh, through the short off season. So I think it'll be plug and play for him situational. Maybe he'll have one or two more breakout games like this, but I think he'll just be more used as a check down or possible third down kind of look away scenario. Good stuff on to Carolina at Tampa Bay. It's tough to see Christian McCaffrey go down. Drew, you're one of them. I know you got him on your team in our league. At least he'll be back but not before missing at least a month for fantasy purposes. I am curious to see if Curtis Samuel gets some of the rushing load. He just had four rushes in the last game. Ultimately, I expect a one-dimensional offense kind of reinforcing Robbie Anderson's usage, to be honest. I I think that's probably the biggest winner in in that Carolina offense. I'm going to stick to this Tom Brady point as well until I hear some R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Give this man some respect. Second highest graded quarterback by PFF in week two. A pair of red zone drops aren't going to help any team. And this man is, you know, they weren't supposed to beat the Saints week one. And they were supposed to beat the Panthers this week. And they did that. Tom Brady is still making big time throws. I don't see a guy that's washed. And I'm tired of seeing that on TV and listening to that on the radio. It's ridiculous. If you want to push him out for age, you're not a diehard. You can stop listening now. But if if you want to watch these games, you're like, is this guy serious? Go watch the games. Tom Brady can make throws. Uh, Drew, you have anything on this game, man? I'm with you, man. Tom Brady, the only thing I could say is you you can tell he's moving a little bit more gingerly in the pocket, but I believe that's – more of him just getting used to his space in this new O-line. He did it for many years with the best O-line coach in, in New England and with a great O-line every single year. I think it's more keep keeping his movements minimized. You still seeing him plant that back foot to drive through his passes. His ball still is a tight spiral. I mean, he had an issue with Mike Evans that everyone was trying to chatter about, and Mike Evans had a great game. So, I mean, they fixed that in one week. Um, I mean, that's just preparation. That's, that's knowing what your faults are and overcoming those, those uh, hurdles. It's, it's easy to see if you do watch the games that this guy is making checks. He's still building his rapport with his receivers. I mean, if you were to give any other quarterback 
brand new pieces and a brand new coach and a brand new line, they wouldn't be doing this good. I promise you that. Hey, and look, next week, uh, they play the Broncos. They're favored to win that game. They're actually going to have their offense. They're going to have Mike Evans healthy, Chris Godwin healthy, Scotty Miller in the role he should be in, uh, and Leonard Fournette. Drew, has he taken over the backfield already, or do you think Ronald Jones simply got benched for the fumble? I think that was – I think it was a little bit of both. I think deep down in the coaches' hearts and on that team, they know Leonard Fournette is the guy. Ronald Jones was always been a question mark in that offense, and he sounded like he emerged in camp too, but there's a reason why Leonard Fournette was a number one prospect out of high school as a running back. There's a reason why he was the number one prospect going to college as a running back, and there was a reason why he was an LSU Tiger. So big-time name, big-time producer – it's not like he, you know, it's not like he suffered through many injuries, sat out a lot of games, and had a lot of underperforming games. This guy was a baller. He was carrying that Jags offense. So if you were to ask me, Ronald Jones, honestly, he does look like he's running a little bit better, running a little bit more confident, but you cannot look away from talent. They'll probably still give Ronald Jones a few touches, but when it's all said and done on third downs and in situations where they need – that four to five yards of carry Leonard Fournette's that back that when he sees two yards of space, he's going to get four or five. Yes, sir. And all right. Uh, game you watched here, the Jaguars at Titans guys. I know Stefan got He was a mess in week one and he, he was simple as that. However, he made up for it in week one. He hit the game winner. Uh, and then last week, yet again, another game winner, whether you like it or not, in fantasy or reality football, kicking matters in this league. What do you see in this one, man? Yeah, kicking does matter. He missed an extra point in this one too, but like he said, all that matters is that he hits that game winner, which he did. Um, first surprise, I had a lot of questions about Tannehill. I know you had a couple too, but – Man, if you look at last year, going into this year, he's kind of silencing all doubters, man. Good turnaround. But we all had questions about what he would do without an elite rushing performance or with the offense struggling, rushing the ball. Since he got the start in week seven last year, listen to this, 33 touchdowns, seven interceptions, 70 completion percentage, 121 rating. He's had 67 attempts passing this year so far. That's in the range of Tom Brady, Rivers, Derek Carr, and Deshaun Watson. Majority of his throws were on target. He showed a lot of patience in the pocket, poise under pressure. His touchdown to Humphreys was actually while he was getting hit in the pocket. Uh, another guy, Jonu Smith. Jonu Smith had you know up-and-down hype this year. I think he kind of proved that he could be a big-time tight end playmaker. He was destroying his man coverage, coming down with some tight window catches. I'm impressed with Jonathan Smith so far. Um, and I can't wait till this offense clicks a little bit more with A.J. Brown. We know Corey Davis can make some, make some plays when needed. Uh, I mean, Tannehill did it. I mean, I think Derrick Henry had only two, three yards in the first, uh, almost the end of the first half. So, I mean, he kind of carried the offense to this lead. But I want to 
highlight the other quarterback mm-hmm. on the Jaguars, Garnu Minshew. Man, second week in a row. I am more amazed at what this kid is doing. I honestly couldn't keep track anymore. The check marks on my notepad of how many precision throws he made in this game. Almost everything was on the money. Middle of the field and in man coverage, threw a touchdown to his tight end, a touch pass to his running back um, for a touchdown also. I mean, a lot of these were avoiding pressure too. It looks like we got a star in the making in Jacksonville, and that's not common. Same thing with rookie LaVisca Chenault. He's being used all over the field, and he's kind of a big body. He's kind of hard to take down, and, and they got James Robinson over there is living up to the expectations as a starting back. The Jags are pretty exciting to watch. It's weird to say, but – Gardner Minshew is, is lighting the fire, and, and all these skill positions are coming into peace, man. I, I really like watching this offense play. Yeah, I quickly swallowed my my preseason prediction of one win. Uh, <laughs> that that wasn't uh, – <laughs> hey, I'm happy to be proven wrong because I don't root for anyone to be that that much of a struggling franchise. So, hey, good for them. They do look competitive. Uh, my biggest takeaway, since you did touch up on Derrick Henry, how do you hold Henry to 84 yards on 25 carries? I had no idea. Pretty impressive. Uh, and I'm glad you threw shine on both the quarterbacks because they both earned it. Uh, I've been on that Tannehill Island forever, dude, since he was in Miami saying, dude, the guy was good. This one year, kind of hang on. I was hanging on to that one year. He was ranked eighth in all major categories but no one wanted to kind of acknowledge that because he played for Miami. Uh, and then, I don't know, man, people just wanted to call him the next Sam Bradford and all that because he got banged up. And I'm glad he finally is a starter and getting some more dubs. But, yes, you're absolutely right. Moving on from last season to this one, I had questions just like the rest of you. Absolutely. Uh, you you want to see someone – you want to see if they can do it again on core. Uh, it's all about consistency in this league. Which leads me to this next game, San Francisco at the New York Jets. Consistency, that's been the Niners. Consistently good over the past calendar year. The Jets have been consistently <laughs> struggling uh, for years now. We already knew both teams were banged up. The Jets were without Lev Bell, Jamison Crowder, and Denzel Mims. San Francisco was without George Kittle. Debo Samuel, D. Ford, and Richard Sherman. Things got worse for the 49ers, and most of you know this already. Jimmy Garoppolo, Raheem Mostert, Nick Bosa, and Solomon Thomas, all on the shelf right now. And as for this game, Kyle Shanahan, he worked with Jordan Reed back in Washington. Reed got the start. He dodged a few tackles, had himself a good game. There's not a lot of highlights for the Jets, but if if you go back and watch these highlights, Sam Darnold, he, he scrambles left and he makes a beautiful throw on the run where, hey, if, if Pat Mahomes or Lamar Jackson or even Aaron Rodgers make that throw, ESPN, Fox, all the highlight shows, they're showing that over and over from like five different angles. So Sam Darnold deserves a little bit of love here. Uh, he, you know, not a lot around him in general. Uh, Drew, do you think the Niners – is their season over? I hate to kind of use that. Is it over already or or not, not even close to that yet? 
No, as much as it pains me to say, I don't think the Niners season is close to over. Maybe not just yet. I mean, they're really going to be tested on their depth. Um, but, I mean, a lot of their moves over the past season and off season have been pretty good. They lost a left tackle. They get back one of the best veterans. They lost a D tackle. They draft one of the, you know, one of the scouts saying that Javon Kinlaw is one of the most most physical defensive linemen he's ever coached. He's coming out of um, South Carolina too. So, you know, he faced a lot of different offensive linemen that are now in the NFL or at least going to be in the NFL. And we've seen Shanahan produce offense, maybe not convert too many to wins, but we've seen him produce offense with backup quarterbacks when Garoppolo was hurt. So if it looks like Shanahan can produce with almost any running back that he puts out there, so if they can keep the run game going, their defense holds steady, I think they'll be in enough games to take home, you know, a three-point win, a one-point win. And who knows, maybe Garoppolo's back sooner than expected. Maybe Javon Kinlaw is the draft pick they expect him to be. I know Nick Bosa is one of the fiercest defenders, uh, defensive uh, pass rushers out there, but it's not like they'll never have D4. D4 is still on their, on their uh, roster, and who knows what else they can uh, they mix up. We know we always talk about, and the camera always fo- focuses on Robert Sala and how he's going to get a head coaching gig sometime soon. If he really is, this is the year to build his resume. That's for sure. True that, and – Hey, Jimmy Garoppolo, this is the third time he's been injured. Fortunately, it won't be for the season this time around. Nick Mullins, back in 2018, filling in. He went 3-5, and five, but he did complete 64% of his passes. He did average 284 yards a game, 13 touchdowns to 10 picks, the signs of a, you know, of a young, inexperienced quarterback. But, hey, I don't know. He He's a few years older now, and he's gotten to learn from Jimmy G and Kyle Shanahan every day, every year in practice. Maybe the Niners can make things work uh, over the next four to six weeks of Garoppolo watching their games. So, hey, I, I'm not going to be down on a team just because their quarterback's gone. We've seen things happen before. I know it doesn't look good, but, you know, aside from Philly winning the Super Bowl a few years ago, we've seen – the Pittsburgh Steelers nearly make a playoff push last year on a third, not even a second, on a third-string quarterback. So if you're comparing defenses, I would say the Niners are on that level as the Steelers. And I know Nick Bose is gone, but they do have a lot of strong players on that team. Richard Sherman will be back soon. I think the Niners are still alive as well. Next one, AFC contest, Buffalo at Miami. Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs connected on five passes over 15 yards in this one. Josh Allen's just taking the lead by storm here. Uh, uh, he's balling right now. I don't care who the competition is. He's on the field. He's making the throws, and he's making the runs. What'd you see? Yeah, definitely Josh Allen doing what he's what he's kind of born to do. Um, you know, Miami did some good things. I mean, they only lost this this game by three points, which is pretty impressive how stout this defense is. Obviously a division game. Honestly, one of Fitzpatrick's better games, 100 quarterback rating through 328 yards, two touchdowns, no picks, 31 for 47. But the main story here is that they're getting some burn from their rushers. They got Gaskin 
at six and six and a half or 6.6 yards per carry. And Brita also came through with a 5.3 yard average. Fitzpatrick did his thing, you know, rushing for a couple first downs, but one of the stars our emerging stars that I wanted to point on is their tight end, Mike Kosicki. Eight catches, 130 yards, and a touchdown. But he made this one-handed grab. was unbelievable, OBJ-like. Not just that, but he was getting wide open. He was beating his man coverage. He was finding holes to sit down in in the zone. Maybe a tight end for the future to look on. He's definitely making his name known. Did a couple games last year, not as consistent. But this year might be the year where Kosicki kind of separates himself from just the average tight end. Um, you said it, man. The the main thing I saw from this is that Diggs is unstoppable. I mean, we knew he was a star, but he he looks like he's a superstar. One of the best receivers in the league, especially at his size. Getting that kind of separation, making those catches in traffic on the sideline. He had a couple drops too, but one of the main things, yes, Josh Allen is doing some great things. He he looks like he's improving. His a lot of his throws are on the money. But he still is. It's not going to show up in the highlights, but he's still making dangerous throws. He's still keeping the ball and standing upright, running too long like a running back when he should be going down. A lot of close fumbles. They're trying to strip the ball from him because of his tendency to fumble. He needs to clean that up a little bit versus elite teams since they only beat Miami by three versus the elite teams on their schedule. I don't think that's going to fly. So their defense needs to pick it up. They need to get back to the top five. Um, scoring defense against the NFL if they're going to make that AFC conference uh, title run. Um, but I do like what I see so far from Buffalo. At least we know that that chemistry is working with Diggs. You're 100% on Buffalo. Completely agree about Josh Allen. And that defense does look a little sketchy. Uh, and I do want to tip my cat off, cap off again to Brian Flores. Miami just looks well coached. Uh, they're not going to be perfect. Brian Flores is doing a great job there. And you mentioned Jacecki and his uh, eye-popping stat line. This guy, he, he, he was lined up in the slot 79% of the time in that game. Uh, it, I expect more of that on Thursday night against the Jaguars if you're in fantasy football and he's still available, which I doubt. Uh, I'd be starting him this week without hesitation. More slot usage there. Sunday night football, New England at Seattle. What an exciting game that turned out to be. And actually the last three times they played, including a Super Bowl, it's all come down not only to the final quarter, to the final minutes. They've all come down to the final play, just like this one did. Both QBs deserve some love for how they played in prime time here. We all knew Cam Newton was running the ball in that last play, though. Everyone in the world did. They came up short, as I expected, on that play. I mean, perhaps they should have ran that play-action pass that scored them a previous touchdown. And, look, this I was kind of surprised to read, courtesy of PFF. Newton actually picked on Jamal Adams in the passing game for 128 yards. That's a lot. Seattle paid him a lot. Adams is one of the best safeties in the game. We know he's the box guy. But giving up 128 yards, you got to clean that up. Uh, maybe Pete Carroll's got to switch style up a little bit. Aside from a Russell Wilson pick six early, and yes, it happens to the best of them. We saw Tom Brady do it, now Russell Wilson. 
Wilson went off. He never looked back. Five TDs to all different receivers, balling out of control. He went eight for 10 on second down, making the rest of the game easy. So, hey, Chris Carson, he's still balling. I mean, he came out of nowhere. He's a household name now. He's tough to stop on the ground. Now he's more involved as a receiver. We know about the the actual receivers on the team, Metcalf, Lockett. This is an offense, and we talked about this in our preseason predictions, Drew, where if any year in his career, this is it for Russell Wilson to make that MVP push. Do you think he's going to be there at the end on that? on that ballot as a top two or top three candidate. Yeah. Whether they continue this onslaught in the past game or not, I think now that he's kind of exploded in the first couple of weeks, I think now he's on the radar for them to kind of look at what he's consistently done through his career, not just this year, you know, especially as a rookie all the way through to where he's at now. I mean, there's a reason why Seattle has been consistently in the playoffs, one of the toughest home crowds to play against, one of the best road teams to play. So now that he's here, and especially with that performance, we all know how sturdy and stout Bill Belichick likes to have his secondary. What a performance. It seems like he can't do anything to stop Russell Wilson. Obviously, he had that pick in the Super Bowl. That was his only pick uh, before that night, Sunday night. Eight touchdowns, and then after that performance, the only interception he threw to start the game, that was through Greg Olson's hand. So not really on Russell Wilson. That was returned for a pick six. I mean, he just can't stop this guy. We know Belichick struggled with a lot of mobile quarterbacks in the past, but not like this. I mean, he's dominating now 3-1 and one, and 13 touchdowns. Man, this guy is just a great, great football player he was making dime throws and the crazy thing is is a lot of those throws were against reigning defensive player of the year Gilmore and who was catching a lot of those passes a lot of sixth and seventh round guys not necessarily against Gilmore but a lot of that one-on-one coverage throwing guys open DK Metcalf had a lot of those catches on Gilmore and we saw them go into a heated you know shoving contest so we know that this team is not afraid for the challenge they definitely showed that on national television. Really, really love what the Seahawks are doing right now. DK Metcalf's a monster. You know I love that guy. He's he's a monster. <laughs> Enough said there. Monday night football, New Orleans at Las Vegas. Yes, Las Vegas. I'm going to bring this up every week until I see otherwise. Derek Carr continues to earn the respect he's been overlooked for. I was the guy supporting Tannehill, as we talked about, I'm still on Brady. I'm saying Derek Carr can win games. Made a playoff run a few years ago, unfortunately. He got hurt and couldn't play in that game. Then, you know, he he had to endure a little bit of franchise, you know, carousel here, head coach. Uh, And they're turning things around now. Since then, they got John Gruden. He gets to learn his system, go hand-in-hand there. Mike Mayock, there's not many other guys you're probably going to trust more when, as it pertains to the draft than Mike Mayock, or at least I would think. That's how I went into it with him getting hired. Uh, Carr, man, he took full advantage of a mismatch by going to Darren Waller for a dozen completions. How do you see this game? 
Yeah, definitely. Obviously, this game was prime time. Everyone wanting to tune in to see Drew Brees. A lot of fans there to see the Saints. A lot of fans there. But Raider Nation, I know they showed up. I know the ratings were high. But Raider Nation staying behind the new Las Vegas team. And and they showed out, man. That was a, a great, great performance. You know, what a, what a great opener for Las Vegas, man. They were just taking it to the Saints. It didn't really, really feel like the Saints – were the Saints of old, like we've usually seen them. They were supposed to be a Super Bowl contender, an NFC title contender this year. Yes, we understand that Michael Thomas was not on the field, but, I mean, if we're going to play both sides, you can't talk about the Saints having all these weapons, having a Super Bowl-winning Hall of Fame, Drew Brees quarterback, two great running backs, great O-line, superb defense, veterans all over the field. You can't have it both ways. So when they put up 24 points only in a dome, not outdoors, where we know Drew Brees has struggled, on prime time where we know he's shined, I mean, you got to give it to the Raiders. You got to give it to Derek Carr, just outshining Drew Brees in every category. And if you look closely, I mean, look at the snaps. Look at all these attempts. Drew Brees, he's struggling. He is struggling without a premier pass catcher like Michael Thomas that can catch any ball thrown in his radius. I mean, they were trying to find ways to do it. I mean, the Raiders had 76 total plays, Saints 57. I mean, that just says a lot to me right there. Overall, the Saints did outgain them, but, I mean, Las Vegas was just putting themselves in a prime position to score, and they did that. They took advantage of matchups. They look like the Saints to me, obviously, alluding for their star tight end. They had the edge rushing the ball. They didn't do great yards per carry, but when when they needed it, they got those first downs. They had more passing first downs than the Saints. So credit to Derek Carr for managing this offense, but not even just managing. He he did it again, just like week one, throwing dimes. Super, super tight windows and man coverage. Derek Carr was looking like the, Bru- the Drew Brees fantasy that people always talk about. Good job for the Raiders. <laughs> and, hey, all I know is this. Last week, Derek Carr hits Nelson Aguilar for a touchdown. This week he hit Zay Jones. Talk about a pair of first-round picks that didn't necessarily pan out where they got drafted. They're implementing them in the silver and black. I like it. They're playing team ball. And, look, you, you, said, you said it, man. It wasn't about the yards per carry. Josh Jacobs paced the offense steady all night long, 27 carries, 88 yards. That guy – he 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 finished it for them, and they they just pounded the Saints. Thirty six minutes time of possession to twenty three. It's usually the Saints marching in like that, like you said. So, am I surprised at an upset? No, I'm not because a few years ago the Raiders played them very tough. They actually won at the Superdome, thirty five to thirty four. I actually picked the Saints in this game, but in a close one, I'm not surprised at all by the silver and black. It's pretty exciting to see for Sin City. All right, Drew, I got a pick six. Yeah, definitely, man. It's, it's <laughs> crazy to see them uh, see them come out. And, I mean, it, it looked like, and it definitely showed that they were in the Saints' head, man. The Saints had 10 penalties for 130 yards, and then nobody in the stands. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't that the truth, man. I, I'm sure they'll bounce back. We both think they'll bounce back. But, hey, I got – a pick six here for you with an extra point. Six questions and a seventh. Are you ready for it? 
Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So I know it wasn't the prettiest situation for Saquon Barkley coming into the year week one and week two against the Steelers and the Bears. But moving forward, fantasy football, the show moves on. The New York Giants running back you want. Is it Deion Lewis or Devontae Freeman? I know you don't have much info on Freeman right now, but if you had to take a risk and pick a guy in your squad and you can only have one, Lewis or Freeman? Man, that is a tough one. Um, I've seen Deion Lewis shine in some spots, but I think I'm going to have to go with Freeman. I think Freeman has always been a little overlooked. I think it's if you take out his rookie year and you take out one of the last struggling years he had with Atlanta, he's averaging about 4.6 yards a carry. So I'm going to take Freeman on this one. I know Deion Lewis has been with the team, but there is a reason why they picked up a free agent and paid him $3 million. I think they do believe that Freeman can give him a little more something that Deion Lewis can't. Um, I think Deion Lewis is more of a backup role. I th- we've seen De- Devontae Freeman take over as a leader and even in the committee still be the number one um, to carry the load. I'll take Freeman on this one. As do I. Uh, maybe this maybe this week and the following, it might be a Deion Lewis uh, at first, uh, simply because it looks like the, the Giants will be one-dimensional a little bit and he'll get some catches, but this team has a lot of pass catchers that they want to get the ball to. Uh, they're all young, and they believe in all of them. So, yeah, I'm with you on Devontae Freeman. He's going to get the – he's basically going to get Saquon's role, just not at that high of a volume. So, number two, who has a better chance to make the playoffs, the 2-0 and Raiders or the 2-0 and Cardinals? Man. That's a tough one. Two great players that I really like. Kyler Murray is taking over this offense. Um, very poised this season. Josh Jacobs is also taking over his offense. Uh, he did it in his rookie year. I think overall, I think overall, if I'm going to trust somebody, I'm going to trust a quarterback over a running back. I think if if Jacobs somehow you know has a hiccup or or misses a couple games. We we both like Derek Carr, but I'm still I still have questions down the stretch versus their young receivers. Um, on the other side, they have a veteran in D Hop. Even without D Hop, we saw Larry Fitzgerald still turn back time and have 800 yards. And Christian Kirk did the same thing last year, especially with the emergence of their two running backs being so successful and Kyler Murray looking so poised in this offense. I would trust I would trust uh, Kyler Murray over Josh Jacobs as far as a playoff push. That's fair. That's very fair. And to be honest, after two weeks, the Cardinals have allowed the second fewest points at 35. I know it's only two weeks, but that's why I asked the question. They're both 2-0. and You got AZ. I like it. Number three, who has a better chance to make the playoffs, the 0-2 Texans or the 0-2 Eagles? I'm going to take the Eagles just because of the history there. I know Bill O'Brien has been pretty successful getting winning seasons with no quarterbacks. He's done it with Deshaun. But honestly, man, the two biggest things that always that I'm always going to talk about every week, if I keep seeing them struggle with, is two brand-new receivers taking over big roles. 
the only receiver with chemistry is Fuller, and we know he can't withstand a healthy season. Another thing is is their first run, their RB one is is David Johnson. We've we've known him to have a lot of different injury issues in the past too, but the main thing is on defense. I think Deshaun Watson is going to be ha- having another year playing catch up, playing from behind, um, struggling to stay in the pocket. He's still got happy feet. That's something that he needs to fix, but that's because they can't stop the run. DJ Reader is gone, and I think that was their best plug on defense. They still have some great players, but overall, I think they're going to struggle stopping the run. I think they're going to get scored on, and they won't really have enough firepower and camaraderie with those new weapons to keep track with all these teams uh, in the AFC. Hmm. Good points, man. Some good points right there. Number four. There are 10 winless teams right now. Who looks like the worst team in the league to you? Oh, man. Um, It's hard to say the Atlanta Falcons, but I look at everything as a whole. And after that loss and after them having two straight seasons at seven and nine, I know they have a lot of firepower on offense, but I think overall this team's defeated. Uh, I don't think they're the worst team. I honestly I honestly don't. I think just overall, I don't think they're going to be in games as much. I think the second things go sideways in any of these upcoming games, there's a quit factor. That happens when you have a coach when you, that you don't believe in. That happens when you start to look past the coach and you start to look into, your, into yourselves, into your teammates and start doubting. I think I saw a lot of that on Sunday. And I think there's going to be more of that down the road. I just don't think, I don't see how they can recover from this. And it's not like they can just, you know, I, I don't think they could. That's something that you can fix mid-season. You had a, you had uh, options and, and weapons to go to on offense, but they're going to really, really struggle on defense. I just don't think they'll have the firepower. Wow, I, I'm surprised there. I, I, I thought you would for sure say the Jets. To be honest with you. Uh, I mean, I do. I do think the Jets are a pretty bad team. I, I, I don't really like Gase as a, as a coach either. But, I mean, if you watched, I know they got uh, beat down pretty hard against the Niners. But, I mean, the defense was, was still making hits behind the line. They were still trying to stuff the run. They were still in that game mentally in the fourth quarter. I didn't see that from Atlanta. Mm, all right. 90% mental. That's a good point. All right. Number five. Who stays undefeated this weekend? The 2-0 Rams at the 2-0 Bills. Oh, man. That's a tough one. Um, man, I want to be so biased with the Rams. Uh, I know they're a great road team. You know what? I'm going to go with the Rams. I think the Bills have been on a nice run going 2-0, but coming back home, I think finally this turnover margin is going to haunt them. I think Josh Allen coughs it up with a couple of big mistakes, and the Rams definitely make you pay uh, when you cough at the ball. Great on the turnover margin. And I don't think, by the way that this defense looks, I don't think they're ready for what our offense has to bring. I think we're bringing something new every week, kind of like how the Patriots bring their approach on offense. I think we're going to bring something new. We saw Robert Woods ball out the first week. We saw Cooper Cup take it in week two and Higby. I think it's going to be a mixture of our tight ends, Everett, 
and Higby since we saw Gusecki go off, and I think it's going to be a question mark as to which one of those receivers they have to defend against. We already saw Van Jefferson make some great plays um, in his second game. So with all the questions about our running game, it's, it's pretty hard to prepare for. I think we're multiple on so many different sides of our offense. I just, I'm just waiting for Josh Allen to cough up those one or two balls and us to convert and win by three or four. And as I learned the hard way watching that game, uh, as my team lost to your team, the, the, the Rams, they played soft coverage. They were off. And that frustrated uh, a quarterback in Carson Wentz and a head coach in Doug Peterson. That liked to go deep. That liked to, that liked to gamble a little bit. And they couldn't at all. Uh, that's a good game plan by the Rams defensively. It's kind of what the Bills want to do, right? And, and their, their running game hasn't been as efficient as it was last season. So I hear you on the Rams. I don't think you're being biased. They're very multiple on both sides of the ball. Number six, who stays undefeated on Monday night football? The 2-0 Chiefs at the 2-0 Ravens. Last season, the Chiefs were one of two teams to beat the Ravens. Who you got? Oh, that's another star-studded matchup right there uh we saw the chiefs kind of struggle against the chargers the chargers were one of the teams actually that uh, lamar struggled with when he first played i think overall the ravens have a better defense so especially home and going with defense we know both quarterbacks are great i think defensively baltimore takes it here i think they kind of have a a script now to slow down pat mahomes you know, if the Chargers are going to do it to them, I think they're going to steal something from the Chargers and slow down Mahomes. I think their run game will be a little bit more effective. I don't think the, the past two teams were as talented uh, on the offensive line, run blocking, and also with their rushers uh, as Baltimore is. So I think they'll have a hard time stopping that. Lamar didn't really show too much week two against Houston, only one touchdown. I think he breaks out for one of his biggest games of the year, especially with that chip on his shoulder, knowing that Pat Mahomes is getting all the accolades in the Super Bowls. Lamar has an MVP too, but I think he's there to make, to defend his home, to defend it on prime time and to make a statement. Mm, that's an exciting game. I think we're all pumped up for Monday night. I'm jazzed. Uh, I got to ask, I, I'm changing it up. I, I know I told you I'd ask you an extra point question. We're actually uh, calling an audible. We're going we're gonna to go for two, two-point conversion. Uh, so I got two questions here for you. One, who is your MVP front runner after two weeks? MVP? I'm going to go with one of the quarterbacks that I shined a little bit of light on. We, we kind of talked about it on Sunday during the game, but Gardner Minshew. I mean, if Jacksonville, they're one and one right now, and you talked about them having not that many wins before the season. I didn't really have them at that many wins, but close game against Tennessee away, only losing by three points, and they had an opportunity to win that game also. They were in scoring position. So I think they're surprising a lot of teams. And, and to be honest, defensively, how do you really game plan for this team? You expect them to have Leonard Fournette. They don't need them. Do you expect them to have, you know, stars on the defense? They, they took them out. So I think offensively and defensively, this is a hard team to game plan against. 
And if Gardner Minshew keeps playing the way that he's playing, they're using a lot of their assets offensively. And one of their big draft picks, C.J. Henderson, is looking like a star. He's one of the top-rated PFF corners for rookies right now. Um, he's, I think, number one as far as rookies. That's over Jeff Okuda, who is the who was drafted third overall. So I just like what they're doing. I think more of this offense relies on Gardner Minshew making plays. He's avoiding pressure every other play, it seems like. And I can't really see anybody else that's as valuable to this team, to his own team, like Gardner is right now. Wow, there's a shocker there for everybody. Uh, hey, Gardner Minshew looks like, he looks like what Jay Gruden tried to start in Washington with Alex Smith. That's what he looks like. And Washington was doing well that year before injury hit, unfortunately, for Alex Smith. Glad he's back. But Gardner Minshew is, looks like he's picking up what, what Jay Gruden was putting down. Uh, hey, I'll say this much. If the Jaguars make the playoffs, you kind of have to go with Gardner Minshew. Uh but after two weeks, who gets my vote? I'd probably hand it to Russell Wilson, to be honest. Uh, as for that last question, bring us home with this two, the end of the two-point conversion here. Who is the best team in football right now? Best team, Seahawks. I know we just talked about Russell Wilson winning MVP, but – as a team, I know everyone had questions about the defense. A lot of people had questions on the health of their running backs. And I think they're just playing together. You know, I think the defense is a little bit underrated. I mean, they have Griffin and, and they added Dunbar. Dunbar was one of the top rated quarterbacks last, from last season in 2019. I know they haven't really had a sustainable pass rush. But I think they're going to do well playing that bend, not break defense, and they're just going to cause turnovers, especially playing in that stadium. When we eventually have fans, it's going to be tough to play there. And we already know they're a great road team. And after that big contract, I think Russell is putting more on his plate to show that he's earned it. He hasn't won that MVP before, so if he does stay high in the votings, uh, I know Gardner Minshew is a long shot, but if it's going to be anybody, I would say Russell Wilson's my second choice. But He's shown that he can carry this team by himself without a running game. And Pete Carroll, we know, is great at game planning for other quarterbacks as well. I think they're going to be a tough out. And as a team, we've seen Pete Carroll energize this team when we didn't think they have a roster. When they do, they're great. Even when they don't, they're still great. And they showed that in prime time on Sunday. I think they're going to continue to show that. I think Russell Wilson is just building something with his poise and, and, and his magnetism for all of his teammates. I think they want to win. I think they want to do it for him and everybody else on that squad. So I think Seattle is overall the best team. Woo! Drew LaQuesta in the house. Dude, I love your perspective. Uh, I, I've learned and you learn, you know, vice versa with each other to, you know, to never be taken off guard because, you know, we see the game for what we really see it. We don't just regurgitate the information we hear and see. Uh, I love it, dude, that I love how insightful uh, you are on all those questions and all the games that we do. Uh, freaking fantastic. And, uh, man, I I'm excited. I, I love your picks. Uh, you have Devontae Freeman over Deion Lewis, just to recap a little bit. Uh, as far as 2-0 teams with a better chance to make the playoffs, you have the Cardinals, Cardinals over the Raiders. 
and a better chance to make the playoffs at 0-2. You have the Eagles over the Texans. And out of all the winless teams, you have Atlanta as possibly the worst because of the mental aspect of the game, which is understandable. And for the teams that stay undefeated this weekend, you have the Rams beating the Bills in Buffalo. You have the Ravens holding home field against the Chiefs. And as for your MVP after two weeks, Gardner Minshew, best team in football right now, the Seattle Seahawks. I like it, man. I like it a lot. Uh, I'm, I was very entertained, and I learned a lot here. Uh, any last word? No, one of the cool things, I know we talked about some cool things that stood out to us in week one. Um, another thing that came up to me is out of all the NFL teams, with 35-plus rush attempts, they win at an 83% rate. So rushing is back, man. That's also a recipe for success, especially in the shortened season. If you don't have enough seven-on-seven camps like you usually do, maybe the rushing is the way to go. And um, you talked about Burrow, man. That, that game showed me a couple things. Don't forget that Burrow was also five for five on fourth downs. They're giving this team to Burrow. Baker's getting babysat. They're giving everything to Burrow. 61 attempts in one game is insane. This kid was shining. Um, I mean, he wasn't as good as – he's he's better than I thought he would be, and he's looking like a star in this league. Most completions in a game by a rookie, crazy insane. Good stuff, man. Uh, the one thing I noticed before we cut out is that only six teams scored less than 20 points, which means 26 teams scored over 20, uh, as I expected at least. And as it's usually the case when you come into each season, the offense is usually ahead of the defense. We see that here already. 26 teams scoring over 20, only six below. Uh, all right, diehards, thanks for listening to AWOL Sports. Wes Monell, Drew LaQuesta, we will see you next week after week three. Holler. <laughs>